0: Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is the future of business with game changers, presented by SAP. The best run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the game changers, oh, come on, you know you're in the right place. I've said it enough times. The buzz today. I'm just going to call a name, Siri. Okay, just think about that for a second. If you still think that Siri, Alexa, Cortana, with pretty names, that they're just fun voice command helpers for personal use, well, not anymore. Virtual assistants, which are bots built on APIs and natural language processing, can help you and your team at work with all kinds of things, scheduling, emails, market updates, routine tasks, and a whole lot more. What are the benefits to you? Why should you care? Why should you bother? Well, think about this. How about achieving previously unimaginable operational efficiencies? And how about having futuristic customer experiences as your new business standard? Think about it for a second. That's big stuff. That's important in this world of our digital economy, our sharing economy. You want to be there. You want to know what your customers are thinking before they even know they're thinking it Maybe they can all help. So I'm going to end this part of the show with, hey, Siri, what's coming tomorrow in the world of bots? We have a great panel today. First up, I'm welcoming back with great pleasure, Vic Bagat. If you want to look him up, B-H-A-G-A-T is his last name. He's an independent industry expert. And for his opening quote, Vic has selected a wonderful quote from Malcolm Gladwell's book, Blink. If anybody is living under a rock and doesn't know who Gladwell is, his full name is Malcolm Timothy Gladwell. He was born in 1963, young kid. He's an English-born Canadian journalist, best-selling author and speaker. He's been a staff writer for The New Yorker since 1996, and he's written five books. Let me just rattle these off. The Tipping Point, How Little Things Can Make a Big Difference. Blink, we're talking about today, The Power of Thinking Without Thinking. Outliers, the story of success. Are you one of those? What the dogs saw in other adventures, and David and Goliath, underdogs, misfits, and the art of battling giants all made the New York Times bestseller list. Here is the quote that Vic has selected from Blink quote, The key to good decision making is not knowledge. It is understanding. We're swimming in the former. We are desperately lacking in the latter. I think there's a poem in there. Vic Bagot, welcome back. How have you been? It's been too long.
2: Thank you, Bonnie. Delighted to be back um, and, and excited to be part of this, uh, uh, this show again. Uh, you know, as, as you highlighted, Malcolm's – I'm sorry –
1: I said thank you, and Uh, we're delighted to have you. And it's been too long, so don't stay away that long. So how does this quote relate to our topic? Bots, bots of today, bots of tomorrow?
2: Absolutely. And what touches me the most about this thing is what I firmly believe. And, you know, back in the old days when I was growing up, we used to be told knowledge is power. Mm -hmm. And now, today, knowledge is twice as powerful if it's shared. And that's why Malcolm makes it a point that, you know, we are – Lacking in understanding and sharing that knowledge. It's not about just control. It's about how do we leverage this knowledge to make our life simpler, easier to do things. And that's why it's so well connected with what we are experiencing today and what large companies like, you know, Apple and Google and, and even Microsoft now getting into it and, and, and Facebook is getting into it is the world of bots is how do we convert what we do into manageable tasks. How do we take all of this knowledge, all of this information, you know, uh, IDG predicted that there's going to be 44 zettabytes of data, which has got 21 zeros, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, by 2020, how do you sift through all that data? Because it can be extremely overwhelming for folks, whether they are in, in a professional world or their personal lives. You know, I'll I'll, I'll give an example. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a six-year-old. Last year, you know, when he, when he started uh, kindergarten, we were at the bus stop, and the kid was, you know, my, my son was you know, waiting to get on the bus. My wife and I were there, and we were all teary-eyed. Oh, my God, he's growing up. <laughs> and great. He, he gets on the bus, the bus leaves, and guess what's in my wife's hand? An iPhone. What? And how many pictures did she take? She took 300 <laughs> pictures. <laughs>
1: Okay? <laughs> she, Vic, she broke no. the speed record for mommy taking pictures uh, I, of little I, boy getting on bus. OMG, go ahead. Exactly. But
2: imagine, do you think we have time to go through 300 pictures? No. We don't. We never will. But the amount of data that we have generated doing that. Now imagine if we had some intelligence. So now we have all this knowledge. We have all this information is there something that can simplify my task and say, Vic, here are the five best photographs out of the 300 that you should save. I'm done. I'm loving it. So that is that what, where
1: bots are going to help us at work too, Vic? I want to relate this think, to, to the work life. What do you think? I,
2: I, I think what's going to happen is the bots are going to become task managers where if I want to do certain or multiple tasks, I can tell my bot, go do this for me. So, for example, next week I'm getting ready to go to New York City. right? So I'm going to go, I'm going to New York City uh, and I'll tell my bot I'm going to New York City, I'm going to have lunch with uh, Robin and Bonnie at mm-hmm. Smith and & Walensky. And the bot goes in and says, Vic, there are three flights available. There's an American from Boston, there's United, and there's Delta. And here's the rates for this and here's the timing. Which one do you want? One, two or three? And then I can, the bot says, I will send an email to Bonnie and Robin to meet you at Smith and Walensky, and I'll also make the reservations for 7 p.m. Is that okay? So suddenly you have just simplified. This is what the, the power of the bots are, where bots will take things, break down into tasks, and take multiple tasks and streamline that and make it so easy for you that you start doing multitasking, which is what we are so used to, And this is how the bots are going to change. And, you know, people call it AI. People call it intelligent algorithms. And, you know, and then, you know, we can call it bots or we can call it robotics. But this is how I think that these are going to become so prevalent because the amount of information that is drowning us today is not going to slow down. And how do we leverage that understanding of knowledge back to Malcolm's point Understanding the knowledge that we are surrounded with to leverage it to drive better decisions and faster decisions.
1: Vic, thank you. Great introduction to our topic. Again, a pleasure to have you back on. And now I'm going to introduce our second panelist. He's a newcomer to Game Changers Radio, but we're very pleased to have him. It's Robin Kieran, K-E-A-R-O-N, Senior VP of Channels and Alliances at CORE, Inc. And I'll spell that K-O-R-E. And a big shout-out to Ryan Oystatcher at CORE for helping to put together this extraordinary panel and topic, along with Dave Fowler, the sponsor of the series at SAP. So Robin has sent me a wonderful question. From Stephen D. Levitt. And those of you saying, wait a minute, Levitt sounds familiar to me. Well, think about Freakonomics, his best selling book, which he co authored in 2005. And how about the 2009 sequel, Super Freakonomics? And if that didn't get you going, 2014, just two years ago, they published Think Like a Freak. In 2009, Stephen D. D stands for David, by the way. Uh, Levitt co founded the TGG Group, a business. Banned Philanthropy Consulting Company. That's a mouthful. He was chosen as one of Time Magazine's 100 People Who Shape Our World back in 2006, and I bet he's still in the forefront as we speak. So here's the quote Robin has selected from Stephen D. Levitt. The key to learning is feedback. It is nearly impossible to learn anything without it. Robin Kieran, welcome to Game Changers. How are you?
3: I'm well, Bonnie. Thanks. Pleasure to be here.
1: Delighted to have you. Talk to me, a big fan of Freakonomics and Super Freakonomics. Which book did you like best, or are you still waiting to read them like I do, like I am?
3: Oh, yes. Well, first, a quick shout-out to a friend of mine, the CIO of Amatech, who introduced me to the books. Um, for those that haven't read Freakonomics, or the, the series, I would recommend it. Essentially, they cover, uh, they use big data to derive conclusions that challenge conventional wisdom. Um, some of them may be quite controversial, but essentially, Stephen comes out with, Uh, lessons from the past that we can apply to the future. And I think that really applies to the topic that we have here today. If we think about uh, a virtual assistant, I need that assistant to have the capacity to learn, to take feedback, to understand my preferences, maybe to know my bank account details or my frequent flyer, my preferred suppliers, to really understand who I am, my work patterns, understand my language. Um, And I'll give you an example. So if I'm an accountant, the word detail has a specific meaning. If I'm in the life sciences industry and I'm a pharma rep, the word detail is something very specific describing a business process. So I need my assistant to have the capacity to understand and learn the nuance of my life, my vocabulary. Um, Maybe one more, slightly more complex example. You know, I may say to my assistant, well, uh, what's my forecast? But Vic might mm-hmm. say, how's the quarter looking? The intent of both my request and Vic's request is essentially the same. My assistant needs to understand my vernacular, the way that I converse. And I'll come back to this theme, I think, later on in this discussion. Essentially, I'm looking for an assistant that it's, it gives me as close an experience to a real human as I can. That's the
1: key. Very interesting. Robin, let me ask you a question, if I may. So is the ideal bot, Siri, Cortana, Alexa, Mary, Joan, Juliet, uh, Bob, Sam, whatever you name your, uh, are there any male name bots? We'll talk about that too. Uh, are they? Do they need to be completely trainable to your accent, to your cadence, to your, I think I want to do this today, Siri or Bob. Uh, how much training should we have to do? for the bot to really function at a high level in business for us. Let's focus on that. What's your, your POV on this, Robin? Just briefly, please. Yeah,
3: so I don't think it stops. I think it's a continuous process. Um, business mm-hmm. processes change, systems change, people's preferences change, the capabilities of technology. Um, a few years ago, Alexa didn't exist. Now it does. We need to be able to adapt and change, and our assistant, I think, also needs that capacity to improve over time and understand and get feedback Back to Stephen's original quote, that's what I think.
1: Thank you very much. Great to meet you, Robin, and thanks for joining us. And again, a shout-out to you and your colleagues at CORE, K-O-R-E. Really appreciate your input for the show. And let's bring on our third panelist, also a newcomer to Game Changers. It's Dr. Jeffrey Word, W-O-R-D. And I checked his Twitter profile, and it says, not that kind of doctor. He's a Ph.D. He's the Vice President of Product Strategy, Database, and Technology at SAP. And Jeff, I'm going to call him doctor from time to time, but he said, I I can call him Jeff. Uh, Jeff sent us a quote from Konstantinos C. Markides, M-A-R-K-I-D-E-S. I I had no idea who he was. Let me just tell you briefly. He is the Robert P. Baumann Professor of Strategic Leadership at the London Business School since 1990. Uh, He's a native of Cyprus. He received a B.A. with distinction in M.A. in economics from BU. That's my alma mater. An M.B.A. and D.B.A. from Harvard Business School. And Konstantinos was also a fellow of the World Economic Forum at Davos. Certainly very heady company, but here are some of the books he's written, and one in particular, Jeff, intrigues me. Uh, he wrote Diversification, Refocusing, and Economic Performance in 1995. He wrote All the Right Moves, A Guide to Crafting Breakthrough Technology, Harvard Business School Press, 2000. He wrote Fast Second, How Smart Companies Bypass Radical Innovation to Enter and Conquer New Markets. A long title, but a good one, 2004. And Here's the one I like the best. Game-changing strategies. We got to see if we can get Markiti's on the show. Game-changing strategies, how to create new market space in established industries by breaking the rules. Exactly what we do here. So here's the quote Jeff has selected. Quote, significant shifts in market share and fortunes occur not because companies try to play the game better than the competition, but because they change the rules of the game. Dr. Jeff Word, how are you today?
4: I'm doing great. Happy to be here.
1: We are delighted, and again, you and I met on a prep call the other day. And I, what's any derivation you want to tell us about your last name, which is simply the word Word, Do you get asked that a lot?
4: Um, yeah, people always think that it's "ward" with an "a" because that seems to be a bit more common. But no, it's uh, been around in my family at least since the 1400s. So, um, originally from Wales. So, I don't know. It uh, it didn't really take on any meaning until about 1986 when that silly song by Cameo came out called "Word Up" and. Uh, <laughs> kind of ruined my life after that point.
1: <laughs> well, what can we – maybe we can get a bot to be trained to change that and turn that around for you. So, Jeff, talk to me. You're a big fan of, of Constantinos Markides, and uh, how does this quote apply to our topic? Great quote, by the way. Go ahead. Yeah, so,
4: so Constantinos does most of his research in the focus of innovation and how do you drive that in a company through processes, through products, Um, And new ways of thinking. And so I've always loved that quote and used it in a couple of my books um, because it really uh, focuses in on it's not about playing the game better, right? Um, It really is about changing the rules of the game. And um, that really is, if you look at it, Apple with iTunes changed the entire rules of that game. Um, for for their benefit and and actually for the detriment of uh, most of the incumbent players in that. If you look at Amazon, they completely changed the rules of the game for the book industry Um, and have decimated the the traditional book industry as it was for several hundred years. Um, And so if you start looking around, uh, Tesla completely changed the rules of the game Um, in the automotive industry, and now everybody else is trying to catch up. So if you really look at the companies that have been the most innovative, the most disruptive, it's not that they have the best ideas, it's not that they have the best products, it's that they really, from a competitive standpoint, focus in on how can we completely upend an existing marketplace and change the rules of the way that that game, that, that market has played. Um, that is really where I think that um, you know, the, the significant competitive advantage and the significant, significant opportunities for existing companies to transform themselves really lies. And when companies stop and think about not only how can we do stuff that we do today better and faster and cheaper than we do it today, but how can we do stuff that we've never done before? How can we do stuff that radically changes the way that our industry, that our marketplace operates? And that's really where you see these massive, massive um, flips in the way that uh, that uh, markets change and, and companies take advantage where they might not have been uh, the leaders before.
1: Thank you, Jeff. Very interesting. I have a question for you, if I may. It seems to me, and I'm going to use a word, kind of a vernacular – Who is it in our culture, and I'm going to go around the panel for this question, who is it in our culture who has the chutzpah, if you will, the nerve, the moxie, the OMG, really, to disrupt an entire industry? You mentioned Apple. I I know we've seen in in the sharing economy, we've seen Uber and Lyft, and we've seen uh, Airbnb. Everything is changing, but somebody had to sit there one day and say, Okay, it's time to change the rules of the game. I'm going to be the bad boy or the bad girl who does it, and people are going to listen to me. That seems to me a very daring and bold place to be. Anything about the DNA of these people? We'll get to bots in a few yeah, minutes, but Jeff? Yeah,
4: actually, you know, a couple of inside stories. Yeah. Um, if you've actually listened to the, the founders of, of Uber, and, and actually the guys that were in the room when the, iPod, the, the iPhone was created, they were pissed off. Um, they hated the way that, that you had to wait for a taxi in downtown San Francisco. It sucks. I mean, it's absolutely awful. And they were sitting there waiting on a taxi, and uh, a couple the guys that started Uber were sitting there complaining about how this is just absolutely stupid. This whole way that taxis operate with the badges and the licenses and all this other stuff and calling a central line, and, it's just stupid. What, we could do something better. Um, Same thing with the iPhone. Um, I talked to the guys that were in the room, and and it's actually in in Mossberg's book about jobs. They were sitting there waiting around for a meeting to start, and they're all checking their crappy old flip phones. Um, And they're talking about how we're going to transform the iPod, and they were literally just complaining, bitching and moaning about how awful those phones were um, before they were smart. And They said, wait a second, we could totally change this. Um, and that's really where you get to that. So it's that frustration born out of these ossified rules in a certain paradigm. Um, same thing with Tesla, same thing with Amazon. They said, there's gotta be a better way. But I think the common thread amongst all those folks and all those people was they didn't really have a whole lot to lose. If you stop and really think about it, um, they were free to experiment. They were free to fail. And that ability, that freedom that you get when you're trying to break the rules, you're trying to do something completely new, and the ability to fail at that and uh, not really have Mm -hmm. massive, huge consequences um, gets back to another great book, uh, Innovator's Dilemma from Clay Christensen. And when you really apply that kind of model to it and say, those disruptive technologies, those disruptive ideas that not only change the paradigm for the technology or that product, but change the paradigm for the industry, really come because the folks that have built their business and and built that cash cow around the existing model have every financial incentive not to change. And so you have to have people kind of come in from the outside that don't have a lot to lose to really shake things up.
1: Thank you, Jeff. Really appreciate that. I know we're a little off topic, but we are going to segue back to bots and uh, virtual assistants. Vic, but God, love to get your POV. Agree or disagree with how Jeff Ward answered my question about the people who have the nerve to say, wait a minute, there's a better way, and I'm going to disrupt and make it happen. Vic, what do you think? Do we have Vic?
2: Again again on mute sorry oh um,
1: no 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 mute no mute go <laughs> ahead promise no more mute go um, ahead Vic
2: no more mute um, you know I, I you know jeff makes very valid points and i think a lot of these uh, inventions and discoveries are all done based on you know somebody's frustration you know why am i so frustrated why I, I, the the bureau, bureaucracy the the length of Time that it takes me to get things done or go from point A to point B is very frustrating. So I am going to do something different. You know, when you live, when you read about Steve Jobs, you know, he said, it is so frustrating to work with this little handset that's called a cell phone, but I'm still punchy buttons, but it that's all it does, just makes a phone call. I need that device to do something more. Elon Musk, when, you know, and his uh... uh group, when they were start looking at it and saying, there's got to be a better way rather than just using gasoline and liquids in the car, there's gotta be something that can do all electric. You know, similarly when you start looking at the bots, there has got to be a better way to do things that we do today. Right? Why do I have to and and I think we see this, Bonnie, is it's becoming more and more prevalent that calling somebody a customer service rep and being on wait for, you know, um, thirty minutes is a waste of time. You know, yep. so yesterday I was I was calling a, you know, a service rep, and they said your wait time is less than one minute. Three minutes later, it came back and says your wait time is less than one minute. You know, so. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Exactly, an end, right. endless loop it's and there was and Vic. Endless. there was no bot there was no bot on duty right. to say wait a minute the loop is broken let's make this real time i know vic exactly. thank you i want to make sure we get some get some time for robin Kieran to chime in on this too robin join us what do you think disruptive sure. people well, you know, i think um,
3: there is danger here in people thinking that innovation isn't happening as quickly as it is so probably the worst thing to do is to stick our head in the sand and hope that it goes away um Vic just mentioned uh, Elon Musk a, p- a number of years ago, 2008 or so. I was at a seminar where a former executive of General Motors was, was presenting. Um, he was asked about Tesla. Um, how is it that the big three auto companies are being uh, overtaken by this upstart in California? Um, his response, I was expecting various different responses. His response was, who's Tesla? I think oh. that the, the problem here oh. of having, it's going to go away if I ignore it. Is, is a critical error, as we've seen many of the Fortune 100 disappearing from the Fortune 100 through innovation like Uber, like Amazon, like Tesla. That's a critical
1: mistake. Who is Tesla? Okay, you know, I do often in the beginning of the show say, if you've been hiding under a rock, I think I use that today. But my goodness, I guess there are people aren't there. I'm... Uh Side note, I'm always so intrigued with the sources of the quotes my panelists send me, and the three of you certainly did that today because I learned so much. Sometimes I think I'm the one hiding under the rock, but I digress. Okay, you know what? Let's get the pause that refreshes here. You know what's coming. I'm going to ask each of you a very brief storytelling question. What's in your cup today? Where are you calling from? What time is it? What's in your cup today? Or what are you thinking about drinking after the show? Vic Bagat, where are you? What time is on your watch? And what you drinking?
4: In
2: Wellesley, Massachusetts, <clears throat> drinking a fully leaded Coca-Cola.
1: Ooh, and you're on my time <laughs> zone. So it's 1025 a.m. Tell me, is it in a, a bottle? Is it in a cup? Is it in a glass? Does it it's have ice in it?
2: always a can. It's always a can. I do not like a bottle, do not like a fountain drink. If a Coke, it has to be a can. And I think I got into this habit, you know, while I was in my younger days going to college. and had to stay up late nights. Um, and early morning to have the late night parties to wear off. So, you know, I got into a bad habit, but now I think I'm correcting it. I'm actually on on one Coca-Cola can a week. So not bad for a guy who used to drink about 12 a day.
1: Oh my goodness. I think I was up to three or four a day when I was in grade school. We had a, a we had the bakery guy. We had the milkman. Yeah. We had the soda guy and they all came to the back porch and delivered cases of everything. And we were a Coca Cola family. And I remember two or three after school. And then one day the dentist said, what the heck's happening to your teeth? And I said, Well, I'm drinking Coke. He said, Oh my God, there's the sugar. That's before we were even aware. But while you were talking, Vic, I Googled caffeine and soda chart on cspinet.org, and it looks like Coke with lime. I don't know why they're telling that one has 34.5 milligrams of caffeine, according to the manufacturer, and a little less according to a lab test. So you're on your own with that one, Vic. Thank you very much. And let's turn to Robin, Karen. Where are you? What time is it? What are you drinking, or what are you thinking? about drinking later, Robin. Uh,
3: it is 9.27 Central Time in Chicago. I'm drinking good old-fashioned in-room hotel coffee, um, mm-hmm. getting down to the dregs around about now. Um, so in between high school and college, I worked in retail at a place called Fortnum & Mason on Piccadilly in London. And I worked mm-hmm. in the tea and coffee department. And just the aromas of coffee uh, evoke... Very good memories. Um, not necessarily the dregs of a, an in-room hotel coffee, but, but <laughs> it's close enough.
1: Very appreciated. Did you have a favorite flavor? Could you tell a coffee that was a bold, let's say a Sumatra versus a, a less, less bold brand or flavor? Could you tell from the scent or did they I all smell the same after could. a
3: while? Yeah, I could at the time, but um, mm-hmm. a little bit rusty. I prefer coffee where you put the spoon in and it stands up on its own.
1: <laughs> a man after my own heart. Yes, I visited Cancun, Mexico, many years ago, and the coffee was just like you described. I didn't care about caffeine. I don't want sugar, milk, cream. I just wanted that stuff—cups and cups and and containers of it and caf- carafes of it every day. Couldn't get enough. It was almost like cocoa and coffee having a marriage made in heaven. It was wonderful. Thank you for the memories, Robin Kieran and Dr. Jeff Word. I hate to say this. Well, (laughs) what's the word, Jeff? What are you drinking? I'm sorry.
4: Uh, That's all right. It happens. Um, I I am uh, sitting in Dallas, Texas, uh, same time zone as Robin, and I'm drinking a frosty can of Dr. Pepper, my favorite uh, caffeine delivery mechanism.
1: Wow. So we've got a Coke drinker, we've got a Dr. Pepper drinker, and we've got a hotel coffee drinker. And, guys, you don't really know me well, but they do not let me have caffeine on radio show days you already know why. So I'm drinking cool, clear water from a Brita filter in a clear glass mug with a pink straw because I've been trying all week to get the rain to stop here in New York and I finally succeeded. And it's beautiful here, as I imagine it is in Boston as well. So you know what? We're going to take a well-deserved break for about 60 seconds. And when we come back, we're going to open the roundtable officially, starting off with some speaking notes, some talking points from Vic Bagat. And we will have Robin chime in. We'll have Jeff chime in. We're going to give everybody two minutes on on the clock for their point of view, their comments, and then we're going to go to some topics from Robin and then from Jeff Ward. You don't want to miss this. Three very interesting panelists, very well spoken and very smart on the topic. Our topic, let's get back to it, is Got a Bot, BOT, tomorrow's virtual assistance and employee efficiency, part two. Shout out to Dave Fowler at SAP, sponsor of this series. Hope, I hope that Sapphire was very successful for you, Dave. So, to our audience don't even think of touching that mouse that app that dial we will be right back Justin.
0: when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Factors as diverse as business simplification, insights from growing volumes of data, the new global pool of talent, resource scarcity, business networks and supply chains, and the ever-present need for speed are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. The future of business. Business with Game Changers is presented by SAP Services. Visit www.sap.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.graham at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to the future of business with Game Changers.
1: Certainly we are, and we will. And a shout-out again to Ryan Oystacher at CORE for helping with this program. Alicia Brooke, whoever you are, your tweets are fabulous. Alicia, A-L-E-I-S-H-A, Brook with an E on the end, is tweeting at hashtag SAP Radio. And a shout-out to David S. Fowler at SAP. He says, in my cup today, caribou with cream. Sounds amazing, Dave. Hope it's really good. And we are tweeting at hashtag SAP Radio. And handle K-O-R-E is tweeting as well. So now it's time to dig into Two-Hour Roundtable, and we're going to kick this off with Vic Bagot, and here's something Vic told me in his notes before the show. He's going to run with this, and we'll get Robin Kieran and Dr. Jeff Ward to chime in. So Vic says, Software Robotics will enable employees to instantly access and act on relevant and timely information. A prime example today is how messaging apps are converging our consumer experiences through, quote, unquote, I love this, conversational commerce. Never heard that term. Vic, expand it, please, and then we'll have your co-panelists share their thoughts. Go ahead.
2: All right. Thank you, Bonnie. Happy to. Uh, you know, as I, as I highlight, you know, what software is really going to enable some of the uh, process flows that we do. You know, for example, large enterprises are very focused on, on end-to-end processes like new product introductions. When they introduce new products, how do you reduce the cycle time? And there is a long process, bureaucratic process, that if you can take software, really drive redundant Uh, bureaucratic processes and automate them, you have super simplified and really reduced the cycle time to go to market faster. Or if you're looking for things like ITO, which is inquiry to order, from the time a customer inquires about your service or your product to the time they place the order. You know, in many cases, it may be a very long cycle that cannot really predict your supply into the market. And if software can enable that conversational process between the customer and you, and you reduce that cycle time and give instant gratification back to the customer, you have the customer for life. So this is where I was trying to highlight and said software can really enable that level of intelligence that you can co-share with your customer and make it much more customer centric on anything that we as a company or as an enterprise are actually going to deliver back into the market.
1: Thank you Vic very provocative and certainly appropriate for our topic let's get Robin Kieran at core to chime in Robin thoughts please
3: yeah sure I, I say conversational commerce I'd extend that maybe to conversational service the the, the call center experience that we've we've gone through for, for decades has to improve um, in addition to being able to serve a consumer I'd extend that to within the supply chain business to business uh, maybe within healthcare interoperability the the, the Way of getting information flowing outside of the four walls of a particular organisation, uh, and be able to serve the needs of that consumer. Could be a person buying something from a, from Macy's. Could be somebody booking a flight. Could be somebody ordering um, spare parts and raw materials. I, I don't think it's just about the consumer. It's about us as people interacting with technology.
1: Very interesting. Thanks for bringing supply chain into that. And let's turn to Dr. Jeff Ward. Jeff, thoughts? Agree, disagree? Talk.
4: Um, well, agree, but even more more wholeheartedly, I think, because what we're seeing, especially from an SAP perspective, obviously, we build very complex business systems that automate those processes that Vic was talking about. And the challenge that we've always seen and, and the challenge to, to our industry as a whole is getting people to consume and adopt those things and the more that, that companies like SAP and, and, and other folks in the enterprise software industry can do behind the scenes to automatically filter out and, and noise filter a lot of the things that aren't needed and make that interaction, that consumption of these very powerful tools more effective for the actual end users regardless of where they are, on a on a phone, on a mountaintop, whatever, um, when they need to get their job done, when they need information from that system, when they need to interact with it to do something, Making that as simple as easy as possible for them to consume by offloading a lot of that heavy duty processing in the back end um, and, and you know perhaps with the bot, perhaps with AI with a lot of other technologies behind the scenes, that's going to make them much more interactive and it 's something that you know we can look at what Google did to the internet and made it so simple for people to interact and get the information they want out of that. If we can do something like that. Um, with a natural language interface that, that allows people to get that information and interact and have a conversation with that system, it's going to totally transform the way that people actually get their jobs done.
1: Thank you very much. I'm going to move on. Gentlemen, good good uh, conversation on that topic. I want to make sure we cover a lot of territory and we, we're running out of time. Robin Kiranakor, I'm looking at your notes. And here's something interesting. I think we're going to introduce a dirty word. You say, we must not forget security and compliance. That's two dirty words. When it comes to virtual assistants, the actions they take and the information they deliver to us must be audited and encrypted. Why don't you expand this for us, please, Robin, and then we'll see what Jeff Word and Vic Bagot have to say.
3: Yeah, sure. So I, we're not talking about ghosts here. When I want to take an action, approve a purchase order, or change the value on a sales uh, forecast, um, it can't be done by an invisible agent. Certain, pretty much every industry needs to know that an action was taken by an actual person. Um, whereas the action might have been taken by your virtual assistant, it needs to be assigned to a person. Audit and traceability, whether it's FDA or FINRA, needs to know in the future who took that action. Uh, it speaks certainly to the, to the point of action. If you had a, virtu- a real assistant whose job was to just come in, knock on your door every five minutes and say, hey, Bonnie, you've got a new email, or hey, Bonnie, um, Jim <laughs> wants a vacation day next week, or hey, Bonnie, can you approve this purchase order? And all your assistant did was to come and tell you that you had more work to do. That would not be a great experience. You know, that assistant probably wouldn't last very long. An assistant, and therefore a virtual assistant, needs to be able to take an action. So when somebody says, um, Jim wants a day off next Tuesday, would you like me to approve that in your SAP system? Taking an action that's relevant to this flow of information coming in is far more impactful than just saying, hey, Bonnie, you've got more, more work to do. So I certainly believe it's, it's about action. It's not just about alerts and notifications and being told that something's going on in your world.
1: Thank you. Very well put. Jeff Ward, join us. Thoughts?
4: Um, absolutely. Uh, but, but uh, again, we take a slightly different perspective because, you know, just to put it in perspective, the Exhibit A in the Enron trial was the printouts from their SAP system. Had their fingerprints all over it and put them in jail. And that level of accountability now, especially nowadays in the post-Enron world, with Sarbanes and Sox and all of these other, uh, you know, Basel II and all these other things, you go to jail as a business owner if you don't do this right, if you don't segregate that information, if you don't provide security, if your data gets hacked and spread on the Internet you're done for and so when we think about that it goes all the way from the silicon down at the chips that are processing this stuff up to the database operating system applications and then to the user interaction and whether that's a screen whether that's a, a a voice assistant whether it's a phone wherever you're actually interacting with that system you've got to make sure that that security and that integrity of that data is not only kept during that interaction and that window of opportunity right then but that is kept permanently for auditability and traceability perspectives. Um, it, it's not just a nice thing to have. It's not something to think about after an, an, an event has happened. It's something you have to bake into the fabric of your organization.
1: Thank you very much. Good input. Vic Bagat join us. Thoughts? No, I, I think uh, very uh,
2: extremely valid point, um, uh, both from Jeff and, and from Robin, um, you know, security is paramount, no question about it, and, and, and specifically in the enterprise space that, you know, where the hackers are no longer, you know, just going after ones or onesies or twosies, this is now state-sponsored um, ha- uh, hacking that's happening. So the amount of money that a enterprise puts against security is never going to be competitive with state-sponsored um, activity that's going on. But then again, looking at it from a different lens, security cannot put a chokehold on progress. So when you start looking at bots and when bots break things down to tasks, then securing those tasks becomes a little bit more simpler versus trying to secure everything and put a lock around the entire enterprise and saying no one can get in, no one can get out because we are going to protect this. And then that does not allow us to progress really well, or to really connect and collaborate with our customers in an in a open, transparent way. So I will bring this back into the bots world or this, these intelligent algorithms back into it. When you take a long process and break it into small tasks, then mm-hmm. to control those becomes a lot easier and then also gives you the acceleration in a way to move forward and better connect with your customers and be much more transparent and make it easy for them to do business with you.
1: Thank you very much. Um, Robin, anything you want to add to this? We've gone around the table on your topic. Thoughts? Yeah, anything so else?
3: I, I think just to amplify the point there, it should be about simple. Uh, if we put barriers in the way of a consumer to be able to interact with the things that they need to do with their lives, they don't do it. Um, make it simple, make it addressable, make it natural and then you'll get the results you're expecting.
1: Thank you very much. Dr. Jeffrey Word, I'm looking at your notes here, and I'm going to pick something very generic out of this and have you relate it to bots and AI, artificial intelligence, and on our topic. You say at the end of the day, it comes back down to the business. You have to have a business transformation strategy, and IT just is, is just tools to enable that, but you can't do the transformation without the right set of tools. So how does bots fit into this, or how do they, Jeff?
4: Um well, like i said you know you look at um big massive corporate systems like e r p and 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 other things um c r m et cetera The overwhelming nature of the data and the context and and the the business issues that are being forced onto employees today is going to only get worse. I don't see any way that it would get better um, unless you have some kind of intelligence behind the scenes, unless you have some kind of bot or, or intelligent algorithms, unless you do some of that heavy lifting before it gets to the user. And, and I love what Robin said about simplification. That actually is kind of a big mantra at SAP now, is how can we simplify the consumption? How can we simplify the execution of different process steps? How can we eliminate... Things that traditionally people had to do, you know, back in the early days, you had to file everything in triplicate, right? Paper. Well, we've tried to get rid of that, but at the same time, now we've added more and more complexity um, when it comes to the amount of data and the amount of input sources coming into it. And quite frankly, the human brain really is awful at at filtering out that type of, of information. And so, the more that that companies like SAP can provide the tools and technologies that allow companies to roll this out to their users to protect them in a, in, in a very smart way and simplify for the users, the consumption and, and that, they can really focus on that value added that the human brain does and really add that to the uh, the business process. And that's where I, where I think the value is. Um, that allows you to ex- expand that, that human creativity that I don't think, honestly, intel- artificial intelligence bots will ever have that level of, of self-awareness to, to replicate the creativity of the human mind. So you focus it on, let's use the tools, to get the stuff done, that and, and chew through that data, um, to make it easier for the humans to do what they're really great at.
1: Thank you, Jeff. You just gave me the perfect segue to go to another conversation point in Vic Bagat's notes. Vic, let me tell you where I'm headed, and you can expand it. We have time for one or two more topics before we go to our crystal ball predictions round at the very end. Vic said, while the term robotics implies we are removing the human element, it could not be further from the truth, and he adds, to successfully embrace robotics in 2016 and beyond, and we will talk future in a few minutes, we must continue to align closely with our business partners to understand their core processes and the levers we can pull to help them meet their goals. And further, we must empower our IT teams with the skills they need to rise with the machines. Vic, why don't you give us a two-minute overview? Human element is definitely required in the person who designs the bot and who trains the bot. Uh, how human are these bots and, and any names you are going to see in future bots?
2: You know, I I think the challenge we face is we are all trying to figure out how the human mind works and trying to, you know, replicate that. And uh, back to, you know, Jeff's point, that's not the real competition. You know, it's not about creating a robot that's as intelligent or as perceptive or as capable as a human mind. It's about taking a look at all the tasks that a human does and how can I segregate those and make it simple and easy to do those repetitive tasks so the human mind can evolve itself on thinking better, bigger, newer things. Otherwise, we are so focused on just doing the tasks and keeping our motor running that we don't take the time to really think about bigger, better things. And I think that's where robotics have to come into play. As we start applying these robotics, these robotics have to become self-healing and self-learning Right, where they have the ability to m- morph into bringing that intelligence and making it easy for us humans to do these repetitive tasks. So when I talk about these long-term the processes, you know, what does Siri do? Siri learns as you keep talking to it and you keep you know, telling it to do certain things. Alexa, same thing. Cortana, same thing. But it has this na- natural language processing that it's understanding but it cannot think for the human. It is just giving suggestions, and that's why I think robotics, I think we, we mislabel them sometimes that robotics are going to uh, either overwhelm or undo what the humans are capable of thinking. I think that's so far from the truth and reality that I think we would waste time just to argue over that. I believe that robotics are going to help us create... Ex- uh, extended bandwidth for the humans to think differently, think intelligently of what the next step should be. Now, if we are able to apply that within our own enterprise, and I come back to the, the, the way of how do I make it easy for my customers to do business with me? How do I become more intimate? How do I plan of what the customer is coming to me for, and I can give them a better experience that they actually expected? regardless of the business that I am in, whether I'm making large engines or I am just selling clothing or I am you know, just doing some sort of a service, how do I give that delightful experience and delight that customer that the customer says, this is where I always want to do my business with. Taking, you know, for example, Amazon. Amazon's entire experience is so great, but now go back and they say, if I go to amazon.com, And it came back and said, our site is down for maintenance. Please come back on Monday. You're like, okay, I'll give it another try. You go back on Monday and it says, our site is still down. Please come back on Wednesday. Mm -hmm. How long are you going to put up with that? Right? (laughs) So you want that level of experience. And this is now what Amazon is doing, that based on your behavior of shopping, it is making some recommendations to you that you didn't even think about that you needed. So the bots are already doing certain work, but they're doing behind the scenes where it's making that recommendation and saying, hey, Vic, you bought this book last week. Here's another one that's similar to that one that you will enjoy reading. Are you interested?
1: Mm -hmm. Right? So it is giving you this
2: wonderful experience that you want to go back to it.
1: And experience is a very important word. That's something that we want to have for ourselves. We want to give our customers. We want everybody to have a good experience today. Robin, Kieran, why don't you chime in on this point? Thoughts about yeah, the experience? So,
3: uh, we've, we've used the phrase AI a few times during this conversation. Mm-hmm. and I'm reminded of um, Professor Stephen Hawking's comment about a year or so ago, predicting uh, that if this truly comes through, if it's real artificial intelligence, then it's the end of mankind. So I need to uh, be be wary of that. I have the privilege of going to the same high school as Stephen Hawking, so I don't want to get his rebuke. I believe that artificial intelligence really is the extension of uh, uh, an elevation of machine learning, as as Vic just mentioned. Learning and providing suggestions, uh, deriving propensity from what has happened to draw insights into what may be is... I think the level that we operate at right now, human creativity, may be a bit of a stretch
1: hmm. interesting, Jeff We, very provocative. what do you think
4: um, like I said, I, I guess I would have to disagree i mean if if uh, to, to quote a uh, an American of, of equal stature, I believe you, you look at Ray Kurzweil and, and looking at where we think the the singularity is going to happen, where machine learning and, and artificial intelligence actually eclipses the uh, the power of the human mind, and, and hopefully you know, hopefully that will happen in the next uh, 20, 30 years um, within my lifetime. And so if you actually look at that and look at the compute power behind that, that does get dangerous, and, and I will agree with Hawking where y- y- used for evil, anything can be, uh, uh, any technology can be uh, life-threatening, but at the same time, I think that this complementary nature of it where... Um, you know, I, I always go back to Star Trek and, you know, the next generation where, you, where you've got Captain Picard talking to the ship and it answers any question that he wants. Um, that helps them make decisions. It helps them solve problems. And if we, you know, from an SAP perspective, if you if you place that kind of power behind the scenes and make it invisible to the users so they're simply having a conversation with these tools and with these technology and with this intelligence, um, it, it enhances their ability to do their jobs. And I think if that's the goal of things, if that's really where we we focus the efforts of uh, of all of our technological minds is to provide these types of tools, these bots, these virtual uh, assistants, they're going to make life easier and make humans more productive and make their their interaction with those systems much more simple and much more straightforward. I think that that's really where the, the sweet spot for this going forward is going to be.
1: Thank you. Good conversation, gentlemen. And now it's time for us to peer into the future. I think we've sort of been doing that the whole hour, but we are officially at the segment of the show called the Crystal Ball Predictions Round. Vic God, I'm going to circle around the table to you. I'm actually going to sit down right next to you, Vic, because I want to hear this. I can't wait. I'm going to give you 60 seconds. Yeah, we have enough time for a full minute of predictions from each of you. So, Vic, I'm sitting down next to you virtually, and I'm saying, hey, Vic, I like the year 2020. I don't know how far in the future you want to predict Predict what will change. What will be significantly different if we met again to talk about this topic, bots of the future? So, Vic, sixty seconds. Tell us your predictions, please.
2: Ah, uh, thanks, Bonnie. So, you know, as I as I look at all of this data that's that's being generated, you know, um, IDG did a report that says there will be seven billion people by seven uh, by twenty twenty in the world. There will be about you know, 30 to 40 billion devices that'll be interconnected generating data and then about 44 peta, uh, zettabytes of data that's going to be generated. It's extremely overwhelming, you know, when you just look at that and you put it on a slide and you look at it, it's like, oh my God, you know, how do I wrap my head around all of that? And, and what are the opportunities? And again, coming back to the fact that can you break that down and start creating and adding value in all of this that is being created by 2020. So, for example, 30 to 50 billion devices that are going to be interconnected and generating data. You know, for a, for a human to either manually or even automatically do some of these things is, is just not possible, right? How do you break these things down? So, for example, oil and gas, right? On an oil and gas pipeline, when you look at the oil and gas pipeline, at every 100 yards there are 10 to 15 sensors that are all generating data of what's flowing through that pipeline, whether it's gas, whether it's liquid, you know, it's oil or whatever it is, right, to tell you the health of the pipeline and the material that's flowing through that. Now, those sensors are generating that data. What do you do there with that data? Can you do predictive maintenance so the pipeline does not shut down? You know, a, a 777 that takes off from JFK and lands into London generates roughly two terabytes of de- data per flight, mm-hmm. out of which, humanly, it's only, we can only consume maybe 500 meg of data, which is just 10% or less than that. How can we leverage all of that data that is being generated by these sensors, 15,000 sensors that are on a 777? and use it intelligently to predict a better performance of that flight and a better experience to the people that are on the flight. This is where, you know, I, I believe in 2020 as we get further and further into this thing, it is about how do you leverage that intelligence that the data that is being generated to create a delightful experience and easy to consume data to make those intelligent Decisions.
1: Thank you, Robin. I need to save some time for Dr. Jeffrey Ward. Jeff, I can give you exactly 60 seconds for your predictions. Talk to me.
4: Well, good part is that actually is part of my job. Unfortunately, my, uh, my crystal ball is fuzzy after about three to five years. So um, what I can mm. tell you is I think, um, talking about what Vic was saying, predictive is I think the, the actual killer of what's going on. Um, Being able to ask your virtual assistant, being able to have a bot behind the scenes that's constantly turning, telling you what things are happening around the corner. And so, if you look at kind of the history of business, for most of the time, people were looking in the rearview mirror: what did I sell last quarter? What did I sell last year? Now we're getting more towards a real-time visibility. We can see what's happening kind of right now, the beating heart of the enterprise. And I think predictive is really where we're going to be going and having that heads-up display for your enterprise saying, here's what's happening around the corner, um, not just what's on your dashboard and happening right now. And so I think combining that the predictive with the ability to, to simplify that consumption side of things for the users is really going to change very significantly the way that uh, companies and, and users interact with and leverage those technology investments that they have behind the scenes in their back office.
1: Thank you. You know what? I have a quick bonus question. I need a one word answer from each of you. I'm just springing this on you. I know we didn't plan on this, but Vic Bhagat, then Robin Kieran, then Dr. Jeff Word. What name would you like to see for your own personal assistant in the year 2020? Forget Siri, Alexa, Cortana. Any name, male or female, or a made up name. Vic, talk to me. One word, fast. Sonya. Um, okay. Robin Kieran. Cora. Cora. Okay. And Dr. Jeff Word. Duke. Ooh, okay. Very interesting, gentlemen. Thank you very much, Vic Bagot. Pleasure to have you on again. Robin, Kieran, and Dr. Jeff, word so nice to meet both of you. Shout out to everybody at CORE who is tweeting, and Dave Fowler. My goodness, we have somebody named Gary Fingerhut is tweeting now. We've had Alicia Brooke, as I mentioned. We've had Ryan Oystacher and Dave Fowler and all kinds of interesting people tweeting the whole time. Dan Dante Lima, 115, has been tweeting, and so just go to hashtag SAP Radio to see the great conversation following us along even bot directory net has been tweeting along with us. Uh, shout out to Justin and the Business Channel team for keeping us on the air. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here is my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. No, your bot can't do that for you. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Don't miss 2 p.m. Eastern. I'll be back today on the Business Channel. We're debuting a brand new series called Changing the Game with HR. Topic is CHROs in the boardroom. Are they ready? And if not, how are they going to get there? Have a great one. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks again for tuning in to The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. And please join host Bonnie D. Graham again next Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.